0: A number of weeks ago when we went on vacation down to Arizona and did a lot of hiking, um, I took a book, one of the books I took with me, I'm going to be referencing uh, occasionally during this series that I'll be starting this morning, and it was Heaven Rules, and it's a book that was written by a lady named Nancy DeMoss, and that she was married in Woolgemuth is her last name now. And the title of her book is simply Heaven Rules, and it, it came out of the book of Daniel. And that's where my heart is to, to teach some series, a series here out of the book of Daniel. It may be a little different than what you think if you've studied Daniel before. Some of you might probably go out, all right. Boy, this oh is going to be exciting. We're going to hear end-time stuff. Well, we'll probably hear some end-time stuff. You can't hardly go into Daniel that way. But I almost wanted to be building off of what Glenn has been teaching. Because this concept of exiles, you know, the the title of the series is simply Heaven Rules Today, Life in Babylon. And when we say that word Babylon, even today, in, in a lot of people's minds, it's just a name that represents the most evil empire that probably existed, although there were a lot of evil empires. But living in Babylon, living in a culture like we're living in today. And we're going to look at this and, and try to, you know, I, gee, I don't, I don't know how many of you watch the news. It's more depressing. I'm watching less all the time. But when you think about what's going on in the world, it seems like we are on the brink of total, absolute chaos. In the political realm... Other nations, China and Russia and the Middle East, we can talk about that. We can talk about the economic turmoil that's not just in America, it's worldwide. There's an economic upheaval that's coming. There is this political upheaval. There's division and strife in our nation, like probably almost never before. We we are, we are are so divided as a people. And we're starting to easily look at people as being the enemies. And the Bible's clear that we do not fight against flesh and blood. We fight against powers and principalities and darkness. This is a spiritual war that we're in. But it's a war if we don't continually remind ourselves of this one thing. God is in control. Does he control every detail that's going on? Does he make everything happen? I'm not even going to go down that road. But I want to throw out a couple of definitions of sovereignty and providence of God. Now, boy, that's like opening a can of worms. But I think these are two definitions that we could maybe live with, most of us. Simply, sovereignty of God, God's right, and God's power to do all he decides to do. If he wants to do it, he is powerful enough to do something. We can get into the discussions that he's not going to violate his own uh, word. He's not going to do things that he has clear, clearly said he cannot do. Will not. He's not going to viol- violate his holiness, for example. We can, we can go there. But when I look at the sovereignty of God, I just want us to think, is God truly the creator of all things, the ruler of all things? Is he powerful enough to do whatever he wants to do if it doesn't violate his own character? It doesn't have anything to do necessarily with his wisdom and plans and purposes. I'm just saying he could do it. But then we get to Job 42, 2, where it says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. His power, his purposes, his plans, they're going to be fulfilled whether we understand them or not, or we can wrap our mind around all the details of how he does these things. You know, we can get so bogged down in one thought. How does the sovereignty of God and the free will of man ever work together? Wow, that's, that can be a, a cause mind fog. And we could argue forever, and people do. That's not my goal. I just want to acknowledge that God is powerful enough to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, as long as it doesn't violate his character. Then there's the providence of God. And you may not be as familiar with that term, but providence, this simple definition I'm going to work with, is sovereignty in the service of his wise purposes. God interacting in his creation in such a way that his purposes and plans are going to be fulfilled. I don't believe in coincidence. I don't believe in accidents. I don't believe in that. I believe in God's providence. But I do not believe that it ever overrides the free will of man, okay? Okay. So again, I'm hoping I don't lose all of us just with sovereignty and providence. I think these are simple enough definitions that he is the omnipotent, all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere-present God. That's who he is. And his plans and purposes are going to be filled until Jesus comes back and thereafter. Now, what that looks like in between, I wish I had way more answers. And I know there's some people that think they do. And maybe they're right but they may be not. In Isaiah 46.10, it says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. I believe that's true. I believe that's God. So we're going to be looking at or trying to look at things from a different perspective as we live in this world that we're living in right now. There is such a cultural upheaval. Violence every day is just amazing. I read earlier this morning, it was evidently a news story. They didn't even have all the details, but numerous teenagers were killed at a birthday party in Alabama. I don't even know. They already had video on Facebook or something that showed at least six bodies, and there may be more. This is almost a daily occurrence, the violence that's taking place. And it's so hard for me, and I'm guessing a lot of us, to wrap our mind around, God, where is all this going? And how can this truly fulfill your purposes? And boy, I would love answers to all those specifics, but I don't have them. And I think that's by God's intent. But I do think when we begin to understand and look at things through a different uh a different lens, if you would. It's the only way that we can rationalize it all and walk in peace and joy and love and hope that God wants us to. Now in the business world, or in organizations in general, including a church, we have something maybe called the HR department. How many of you know what that HR stands for? What? Human, Human resources. Some of you probably work in the human resources department. Sadly, that's where too many Christians try to solve problems, with our human resources. We look at things with our natural eyes, our natural senses. We look at circumstances, situations that are going on around us, and we try to come to a solution, a, a cure, a fix in our own strength. And then we look at things winding out of control, like what's going on in the world today, and it'll drive us crazy. And it's no wonder we see so much anxiety, fear, oppression, depression. Because in the natural, we we can't figure this one out. We can't fix it. I don't care who wins what election. I don't care who becomes king. I don't care about any of that. Men will not fix it. But God can fix Because he's going to fulfill his purposes one way or another. And what we're going to look at in the book of Daniel is a switch to try and go from human resources to HR, heaven rules, heaven rules. Now, I am stealing that title sort of from her book, but she stole it from the scripture. So I feel okay with that. In in, uh, Daniel chapter four, there's this scripture, and we'll get to this a little bit later when we fill out the story. But in Daniel 4, verse 26, it says, the command, I com- the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. That's part of an interpretation that Daniel is giving to the king. When you get it, you'll look at things differently. You'll see that heaven rules. There may be a whole lot of things happening and going on that we don't understand, But God's purpose and plan is taking place and it's unfolding in the midst of this. And I really think once we get a better understanding of that, our perspective can change. Our perspective can change. We may not change anything around us, the circumstances, the situation. But our perspective will change when we look through that lens. We can see even world events a little bit differently. And that's one of the things I like about the book of Daniel so much and one of the things that I'm hoping to be able to show us as we go into the book of Daniel. This morning will be a little bit different. We'll be jumping around a little bit in Daniel, not only to some of his interpretation of dreams, but to who he was, what was going on. Glenn has done such a good job in the Bible study class giving us background of what's going on. When we think of Daniel, what do you think of? And we'll see there's some of those... Awesome Bible stories that we learned in Sunday school that come from the book of Daniel. But there was a purpose. God had a plan in everything that we see taking place. So we're going to look at Daniel first of all. And just to give us a little bit of background of the man Daniel, he lives most of his life in Babylon. He's living as an exile, far from his homeland in an evil empire and then another evil empire and then another evil empire and then another one that's not so good. He spends almost his entire life in exile. He rises above it all to ascend to one of the highest offices in the land in the midst of a government and rulers that are pagans and evil. And we'll notice all of the evil that's around him, all of the the trials and temptations and testings that come his way. Not one word in the Bible is negative about Daniel. Not one word. Living in the midst of all of this. There's a scripture in Daniel chapter 1 and when you start with Daniel chapter 1, you'll see right away it starts talking about them being conquered by King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian Empire and taking away... A a number of the many, maybe millions of the Jewish people. But it also specifically mentions a few of the young, healthy, brilliant, good-looking young people. Daniel was one of those. And we're going to see that he was probably 14 or 15 years old. That's it. And he spends about the next 70 years in exile. And everything that we see that God does through Daniel, and it's an amazing, amazing story to see how God used this young man, middle-aged man, old man. But we'll see that all of the amazing things that he does as God leads him, God never delivered him from Babylon. God never delivered him. It's amazing to me. How easy would it have been for Daniel's perspective to be one of personal abandonment by God, the Jewish people abandoned by God, 70 years as an exile in a foreign land, used mightily by God. God heard his prayers. God spoke to him. God gave him amazing interpretations Gave him amazing visions in the last half of the book of Daniel about future events, end times events. Had an intimate relationship with God, and God never delivered him. As a matter of fact, we don't see anything in the book of Daniel about Daniel asking to be delivered. We see nothing about him complaining, ranting, and raving about the evil People in charge. I don't even see anywhere when there when he was out protesting with a sign any place. Seventy years in Babylon. How in the world? You know, it tells us in verses one and two where he got taken into Babylon, and yet right away in chapter one in verse twenty one, it says these words, and you need to really read the chapter to get full context, but he says. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. We don't get this right away, but that's almost 70 years later. And the key word for me was Daniel continued. He didn't give up. He didn't lose focus. How could it be that way? What enabled him? And I would offer this. He never, ever forgot that God is in control. God is in control. Whatever the situation looks like and how little my natural understanding is, I'm going to look through that lens that God is in control. He's doing something. In the New Testament, you know, we read things like, all things work for good for those who believe. I believe that completely. But holy cow, there are things we go through that do not feel good and they do not look good. And if we just look at that moment in time or whatever that circumstance is, and it can even be a period of years, we need to remember from God's eternal perspective, it's just this tiny little speck of time. And His purposes are going to be accomplished eventually. I think if we get that mindset that heaven rules, God is truly in control. He has a plan, even when I don't understand it, even when I'm going through things that I hate because they're so painful. God's promises are true. His plans will be fulfilled. He's a good God. He loves me. He has plans for my life. It's going to change our view of everything. And in the midst of that, we can walk in that kind of peace and hope and joy that the Lord intended for us to do. So I'm going to jump ahead right now a little bit to Daniel chapter 4. Because when we read these stories and we see these things, we need to remind ourselves ourselves. Daniel is there. He's in exile. Why? Because God has a plan and a purpose. I don't think it was on their agenda when he was a 15-year-old teenager saying, I want to be taken into exile for the next 70 years. wasn't on his radar whatsoever. God had a plan. In Daniel chapter 4, we read about King Nebuchadnezzar. And he has this dream. And nobody, we've already seen from the previous chapters, it's another dream. It's not his first dream. And, and by now, Nebuchadnezzar knows there's this guy named Daniel who's good. God uses him. But even when Nebuchadnezzar has these revelations about Daniel's God, it's like, wow, it's like so many of us. Wow, isn't God good? Next thing you know, we go back to living the same old way. Same old way. Nebuchadnezzar was guilty of that. So he has this dream and it troubles him. And he has this dream of this giant tree. This giant tree and it, and then when you read the words in in Daniel chapter 4 about this tree, it describes this tree as a large tree. It was a strong tree. Its foliage, its leaves, it was a beautiful, beautiful tree. It was covered with abundant fruit. All the animals could come and and get covering and protection under the shade of this huge tree. The birds dwelt in this tree and its branches. And it even says all the living creatures could come and feed from this tree. And the king is wondering, what the heck is this dream about? A tree. And Daniel, again, he's, he's already had some experience interpreting dreams before. But when he gets the interpretation of these dreams, he understands that, you know, this could easily not be received well by an evil king. And this one is no different. He gets the interpretation of this dream. And he starts out by saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, this tree represents you and your kingdom, your power, your provision for the people, your protection of the people. All that you've done as the king is represented by this tree. You've been given amazing success, amazing power, amazing authority to advance your kingdom and prosper, what we call the Babylonian Empire. But in the middle of this dream, an angel shows up. And it says, an angel appears and it shouts out, Cut down the tree. Cut off its branches. Destroy its foliage. Destroy it all. The animals, the birds are going to have to fly away. The shade is gone. The animals will disperse. The fruit is going to be scattered. Everything this tree represents is going to be destroyed. And remember, King, this tree represents you. What a shocking blow to the king. The only hopeful piece in there is he said, everything about that tree is going to be destroyed except we're going to leave the stump in the ground and the roots in the ground. And what that means, king, is there's the potential for restoration. Restoring. And he didn't even leave it at just all of that. The dream said, you know what? You're going to lose your mind You're no longer going to have the mind of a man. You're going to have the mind of an animal. And you're going to go out as an animal and live off the grass like an animal. And he goes on and gives a picture of what this is going to look like. And this dream is amazing. If I'm the king, I'm not so sure I like it much. And if I'm Daniel, I might be a little fearful of giving the most powerful man on earth... Bad news, but he remembers, and he looks through the lens of God is in control. Heaven rules. What a come down for King Nebuchadnezzar. Everything is being stripped away. All of the power, all the authority, all his prestige is going to be stripped away. He's going to lose his mind. He's going to live like an animal. Why? What's God's purpose in something like this? I would direct you to verse 4, 17, if you're looking in your Bibles. And we're going to see this same thing basically mentioned four times in this chapter from here on. It says, the most, you're going, this is going to happen that the most high is going to be demonstrated as ruler over the realm of all mankind and bestows on it whom he wishes And sets over it the lowliest of men. In other words, he's in control. Verse 25 says, The most high is ruler over the realm of mankind. Verse 32, it's repeated. The most high is the ruler over all of mankind. And then back to verse 26 that I read earlier. This command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you. Why? When? When you acknowledge heaven rules. God's purpose, that there would be an acknowledgement by the king of the most powerful and most evil empire that God's really in charge, the God of Daniel. Not all of the other gods that they worshipped, but the God of Daniel. You know, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're witnessing taking place around us, we need to remember that the, God is in control. And if he's powerful enough to take down the most powerful man on planet Earth, he is also powerful enough to lift us up and get us through whatever we're facing. Whatever's taking place. When I say it's spinning out of control, that's only from the natural point of view. When it's descending into chaos in the natural point of view. You know, we say things like, God's not surprised by this. God knows what's going to happen. He knows the outcome. And I believe that is 100% true. He is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. He's God. But do we really believe that nothing is a surprise to God? When we see something that's happening, and it's so contrary to our viewpoint of what should be happening, because it's so evil, it's so ungodly, is bringing such chaos and turmoil, we need to remember somehow or other, God's plan is ultimately being worked out. And it should help us to see things with a little more courage and find a little more peace and comfort, even though it's a mess in the natural. So when I say heaven rules or God is control, I'm saying that he is going to see his purposes fulfilled through every single thing that happens, every event, every circumstance that takes place on earth, and it's allowing it and doing it to accomplish his good. Now, having said that, I hope you didn't hear me say God causes everything to happen. Every detail. I do not believe he can, He will bring about sickness and disease and cancer. I don't believe he's the source of evil, but he can use people who are. So I believe he is truly in control. I want to go back to Daniel, the person, the man, reminding us he's the first generation of citizens taken into uh, captivity, into Babylon. And think about the fact that he's 14, 15 years old. And his first challenge came while he was that young. Immediately, they wanted to feed and give them drink of things that would violate their law as a 14, 15 year old. When we were 14, 15, some of you might be 14, 15. Are we strong enough to stand up to the most powerful man on the earth and say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to violate my faith. I'm going to put my trust in God. And we probably know the story that at the end of this time of testing, eating only what they could eat according to their diet and their laws, they were the most healthy-looking amongst all of them. started right away at 14 or 15 years old, and they stood on their faith immediately. As I said earlier, when all these things go on around us, individually, as a nation, I think if we were all honest with ourselves, there are times when we have said, Lord, where in the world are you? You totally abandoned us? Have you written us off? You don't care anymore about me? What's what's going on? It would be easy to develop that mindset as an exile in a foreign land at the age of 14 or 15. But he didn't. We're going to see from Daniel's life that God's plan was taking place continually despite the appearance of, of all this that was contrary to that fact. Think about some of the best known events in the book of Daniel. If I asked you to tell me some of the things in the book of Daniel, it'd be amazing. I could tell you, ask you to do that in a lot of the other prophetic books and most of us, I don't have a clue what happened in that book. But if we ask you about the book of Daniel, there's some things that come to mind quite quickly. And each one of them demonstrates that God is doing something to fulfill his plans and purposes. I already shared this first one in chapter four, but Daniel has been strategically placed at this time in history to be there, to be God's voice, to interpret the dreams of the most powerful man on planet earth. And then he's also given visions of future events. God's plan and purposes, Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 4. And we see these dreams being interpreted. And and here's what King Nebuchadnezzar says in both chapter 2 and chapter 4. He says, surely your God is the God of all gods. The God of heaven is being declared the God of all gods by the most powerful man on earth in the most evil empire of its day. God is receiving recognition and glory through Daniel. Second thing you'd be probably really familiar with is the story of three guys in the fiery furnace. How many heard that story in Sunday school? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We even sing about those guys. What was taking place there with these guys? They refused to bow down to a statue of the king. And they're still relatively young. And they refused. And they get thrown in the fiery furnace. We know the story, most all of us. If not, boy, you got to read. It's a great book. They get thrown in the furnace. And they look in the furnace. and say, Wait a minute, didn't we just throw three guys in there? Looks like there's four in there. One of them is the son, as the son of man. What's going on? And the furnace doesn't hurt them. Didn't singe the hair on their head. Matter of fact, it says they came out and they didn't even smell like smoke. And then a whole bunch of servants of the king got thrown in there. And the fire consumed them almost immediately. Listen to what it says in Daniel 3 verse 29. This is the king. He says, therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. God's name is being lifted up even by an evil, evil king. You may remember, it's not quite as popular a story, but the, the the king, a new king named Belshazzar, he's the king and he's as evil. It's just one after the other. And he's having a party and he decides to use the instruments from the temple that had been captured years ago. Let's drink out of those. Let's eat off of those. And a hand shows up and writes something on the wall. And basically what happens is, the long and short of that story is in one night, King Belshazzar is defeated and he's removed from power completely. In one night. One night. Daniel chapter 5, verse 30. You can read more about that story. And then, probably the most familiar one which one is that? Daniel in the Lion's Den, right? Daniel in the Lion's Den. It's such a cute Bible story. We all like it. But we almost miss the reality of what temptation Daniel had to experience here. Not only is it evil kings, there's so much jealousy and bitterness directed by governmental rulers and people in high positions of authority that they're, they're jealous of this guy, Daniel, this Jew. He's not even one of them and he's got all this power and authority and he's got the king's favor. So they tricked the king into signing a law that says, Anybody who prays or petitions any other god than the king should be killed, thrown in the lion's den, and torn into pieces. Daniel resists. You know, and just think, this is the third king, at least King Darius, who passes this law, and, and too late he realizes it's a setup. He can't change the law that he signed because it goes against their law. So he says, we got to throw Daniel in the lion's den. And he even wishes him luck. May your God protect you. And we know the story. The next morning, early, early, I don't think King Darius got much sleep. He was worried about Daniel. And he comes in the next morning, and Daniel's fine. His Lord saved him. They got him out of the lion's den and then they threw all of the other people who set up this plot and their families. And it says basically this. They didn't even hit the floor before the lions had torn him to shreds. Verse 26 of Daniel 6. I usually agree that every part of my kingdom People must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lion. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. I mean, a Christian couldn't write words more powerful than that describing this and this is a pagan king these accounts these stories span approximately 70 years seven decades Daniel has gone from being a young man a young boy of 14 15 something like that to now a man of 80 85 somewhere in there and he's lived his whole life in exile He worked for 70 years under evil kings, evil rulers. One empire after another came into power. The rulers changed. He put up with all of the trials, the temptations that took place, all of the envy, all of the jealousy, all of this as an exile. But he never lost focus. He was faced many, many, many times with choosing between his faith in God and giving in. To the culture around him. What enabled him to have such favor? He was calm. He was humble. And he had a prayerful confidence in the Lord. And it drew the pagan rulers to him. He survived one ruler after another ruler after another ruler. And he thrived in his position of power and responsibility and authority in these pagan empires. How did he do it? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I can tell you first of all how he didn't do it. He didn't do it by ranting and raving against these evil powers and these evil dictators and these evil rulers. He didn't do it by protesting the wicked system and the governments that were perpetuating all this evil. I'm going to give just a little disclaimer over here because that's not necessarily easy to hear. And I realize there's different callings on different people. Moses had a different calling. Moses confronted evil and led the people out. But I don't think many of us are called to be Moses. We are probably more likely to be called to Look at this model laid before us in Daniel to see how we can be salt and light in a world that is getting darker and darker and darker. What do we need to be doing in this world? I believe Daniel realized that every evil ruler, they, they're going to come and go one after the other till Jesus returns. Some may be a little better than others but we're going to see evil rulers and evil governments because they're men and they're ran by man. There's only going to be one ruler who does it right. And that's going to be Jesus when he returns and reigns and rules. He remains strong in his faith. And really, his righteous influence greatly impact us unrighteous rulers and nations. How can our righteousness and our righteous behavior influence the ungodly around us? We've got to figure out how to be salt and light in a world like we're living in. And we can only do that, I believe, by understanding God is control and he is working out his plans and purposes and he has put you and I here for this time to be an influence in an ungodly world. And again, it will look different amongst us. Some of us may be called to be out there on the front lines more so confronting evil. But I believe most of us are called to bear fruit where we're planted, demonstrate the character and attitude of Christ, have the faith that God is truly in charge. And how can we represent Christ in a world that's falling apart to all our natural senses? I believe Daniel is an example of keeping your eye on the ball, so to speak, and that ball being God's plans and purposes are going to come to pass. No man is going to prevent that. It's going to happen. Glenn's talked a lot the last week or two about suffering for Christ. How many of you signed up to suffer when you accepted Christ? Maybe that's part of the the error in the message we so often receive. Pray this prayer, accept Jesus, and hallelujah, everything's good. That's just not true. Your eternal security is in place, but the Bible's clear. We're going to suffer. Unshared this morning. Counter to a privilege to suffer for Christ. How do we do that? Maybe it's kind of like Daniel did. Knowing that whatever's going on around us, I want to be salt and light. I want the righteousness of Christ to work through me and see if it might not influence unrighteousness that's all around us. So I believe as we go forward, I hope and believe that as we look at Daniel's life, we can begin to see how we can better live and serve as exiles in this kingdom here. Daniel should give us encouragement, should strengthen us, should strengthen our faith. The world feels upside down and looks upside down. Amen. It's really not from God's perspective. He knows what's going on. And he can change and do whatever he wants. But he has a plan. And it's going to be fulfilled. And we just don't see it. I, I truly hope that we, and this has been my prayer since I started reading this book, and even before, God, help me to see beyond what my natural eyes are seeing. Help me to see what's happening in the world and realize I don't have to hate that person because he's of a different political persuasion. Or they take different stands on cultural issues that make me nauseous. It's a spirit of the age that we're living in. It's a spiritual war. It's a spiritual battle. And how do we win that war? How do we put on the armor of God? That's how. We need to be led by the Spirit. We need to have an intimate relationship with the Lord. We need to be able to hear his voice, and ultimately we need to have a faith and trust in him that no matter what happens, God's in control. And if you're not a Christian, what I just said is impossible for you to do. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we're still living under the power of sin and death if you've never acknowledged that you're a sinner and you need a savior and that Jesus is that savior, he's the one that paid a price you and I couldn't pay, we can't have hope in this world. For all of us that have never accepted Christ, if there be anybody here, this is the best you're going to ever have. This is it. But if we've accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and savior, this is the worst we're going to ever experience this earth, this life. When we accept Jesus Christ's death as being sufficient for my sins to be forgiven and your sins to be forgiven and realize that Jesus' resurrection from the dead is proof that it was sufficient and that he lives and reigns in heaven interceding for us. Once we've done that, we have a new hope, a certain hope that can never be taken away. We will spend eternity with him we will be able to see his plans fulfilled. You know, the scripture says, we just see things now dimly, like we're looking through a glass that's opaque and we can't really figure out what's over there. But there will come a day where we're going to see clearly. That's the day we're waiting for. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I pray that you will put in our hearts what was in the heart of Daniel, a faith, a strength in our face of knowing who you are. No matter how we're tried, no matter how we're tested, no matter how we're tempted, we will stand on your word and the truth of your word. God, I am so thankful that we are not in control, but you are. Father, I pray that you would help us to see things the way you see things. Give us greater wisdom, greater discernment. Give us your heart when we look at the darknesses around us, especially when we look at those that are lost and perishing. Give us the boldness to take the opportunity to share the hope that's in us. And Lord, I pray that you would bring us to a place by your grace that we would truly be ambassadors that represent Christ. So when people see us, they can see Jesus. Lord, we are going to be a peculiar people. I pray you would help us be all right with that. Lord, well, I pray that that starts fresh anew in each one of our lives, even today that your mind, your attitude towards what's going on in the world could become ours. And Lord, I do pray that if there's anybody here who has never accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, today would be that day. They would surrender their life to you, receive the gift of salvation, the forgiveness of their sins, that they might experience the freedom and abundance that you have for all your children. Pray you would protect each one now as we drive on whatever these roads might look like. Keep us safe. In Jesus' name, amen.